Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. And if you don't get the job after the interview, it's almost always your fault. If someone's bringing you in for an interview, they already believe that you could do the job. Your job when you go into an interview is to give every single possible reason that it looks like you can do whatever they need. All right, we're going to get started. This is actually an interview workshop. I had a, a slide uh, slides prepared for this based on in previous interview things I've done, but I thought as I was considering starting this in a little bit, I thought I would go over some things real quickly before before doing the slide PowerPoint. And we may not even do the PowerPoint, depending on how long this takes, about ways to prepare for interviews and, and really what you should be doing to prepare for interviews. Now, I wanted to share with you just a couple of statistics that I think are very interesting and and really, at the same time that they're interesting, they're disturbing. And because we get at BCG, we get a lot of interviews every day. I think yesterday we had 15 or I don't know what the number was, but we get a, every day we get a lot of interviews. And there's a difference in terms of what happens to people that get interviews. So if one of my candidates gets an interview and I talk to them about it, a Harrison candidate gets an interview and I talk to them before the interview and I talk to them, I would say somewhere between 70 and 80% of those interviews can lead to offers. Now, and that's what I'm going to teach you about today. I'm going to teach you everything that I basically talk to people about when I prepare people for interviews. In general, recruiters preparing people for interviews. In general, you're getting somewhere in the neighborhood for interviews, somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't know, probably... 50%, but it depends on the recruiter. So I would say like 30 to 60% in general of those can lead to offers. So that's actually pretty good too. But here's what's scary. Here's what's very scary. So we have also no preparation. So sometimes what'll happen is, and this happens quite a bit, is we try to prepare all of our candidates for interviews. But a lot of people say, I'm fine. I don't need any preparation. I don't have the time and that sort of thing. And what happens then is very scary. It's 12 to 15% of the interviews that people get lead to offers. And, and that these differences are huge. Uh, and it's something that you should really be aware of, that this preparation for interviews is very meaningful. And the stuff I'm going to talk to you about today, I'm going to talk to you today about everything that I say to people. I've written a lot of books about interviewing. I've written lots of articles about interviewing. And if you're signed up for this webinar today, I will send you copies of the books and things I've written. And one of the books I've written, which is, I think, Top 23 Interview Tips, is something I definitely would recommend reading. If you're one of my candidates, I also sent it to you this week. But this is, this is a big difference. Look, at 12 to 15% with no preparation, and then getting prepared by a recruiter, 30 to 60%. Again, it depends on the recruiter, what the recruiter does. And if I'm talking to people, it's usually 70 to 80%. So the idea is, you know, what is happening to what's happening in the preparation that I'm doing or what is happening in the preparation the recruiters are doing that really is making the difference between people getting offers and interviews and people not getting offers and interviews. So the first thing to understand, and this is a kind of a major rule, and it's something that no one really understands when they're going into an interview, is every time you get an interview, the employer wants to hire you. The employer is actually very enthusiastic about hiring you. They hope that you will work out because it's a lot of work interviewing people. Think about that. It's they have to bring someone in. They're interviewing you typically because they need money. 
And if you don't get the job after the interview, it's almost always your fault. You've done something wrong to not get the interview. There are people out there that are very good at interviews that anytime they go into an interview, they almost always get a job. There are literally, I've met lots of people like this in my career, and there are people that are very good at interviewing and they're doing the things I'm going to talk to you about today. There's also people that go into interviews and don't get jobs consistently over and over again. I've seen people that go into 15 interviews and don't get a single job. And then I've seen the same people go into every interview that you would never even expect and get the job. So there's some, there's a science to this and there's things that people do when they're doing an interview that's important. But you just need to remember, if you get an interview with someone, there's more than 50% likelihood that you, you should be getting you should be getting an offer. And because if you're not, it's your fault and it's because you're not doing certain things. There's this matrix that I go through and teach everybody. And it's the same for interviews. It's the same for your resume. And it's kind of, there's six questions that everyone's asking when they interview you. And, and these are the six questions and I'm going to go through them real quickly. And I think the reason I want to do this as opposed to just go through a PowerPoint is because this will kind of frame that you may have later about the interview and what you should be doing. But the first thing is that they're asking is whether or not you can do the job. And when they look at your resume, your resume already shows if you can do the job or not. It shows your employer, which they'll know something about. Usually if they don't know something about your employer, your resume will discuss the type of work you do. It will show your law school, if that's important to them. It will show your previous experience. If they're bringing you in for the for the interview, they already know that you can do the job. And most attorneys, you go to law school and you don't learn anything about how to be a corporate attorney or a litigator. You learn some stuff about that, but all the teaching in any law firm happens on the job. So they know when they bring you in, if they brought you in, that whatever the job they have that they're interviewing you for, they know that you can do it. So there's not really it's not something you need to prove. So people go into interviews all the time and they think I need to talk about how I did this and I did that and I better list all these things that I did. And that doesn't mean you can do the job. That's anybody can, any practice area, by the way, anybody can pick up. It's not that hard. You, again, you can, if you're a litigation attorney and you want to go do a certain type of litigation, you can pick it up. It's not, and you can, so you don't need to go into the interview with the idea that you need to convince people that you can do whatever the job that they have is. They're, they've already reached that conclusion. And I just want to be very clear that if someone's bringing you in for an interview, they already believe that you can do the job. The only way you can show the employer that you can't do the job is if you give a lot of wrong answers. In, for example, with litigators, sometimes they want litigators that they want to be able to send them to court. And so if someone says, I never want to go to court, obviously you can't do the job. If someone says, I don't want to have to work in an office. I'd rather work remotely. If that employer is, if wants people to work in the office, that means you can't do the job. If someone says, I would like reduced hours and they need someone that's full-time, that doesn't fulfill the job. So when you say things you don't want or when you start pushing things out like that, this is where people get into trouble. People always go into interviews and they put their needs first and they think about what's important to them without realizing that these same employers are interviewing many times many people. So what bad interviewers do is they start thinking about all the stuff that they don't want in a job and they start putting that out. And it's very easy for an employer to reject you after an interview when you start saying things. All you need to do is say a couple things like that 
if you say, I don't want to go to court or I don't want to have to work in an office or once you say one of those things, if that's not what the employer wants for their job, you're done. That's it. And this is a mistake that people make. They go in thinking, I wonder what this, if the employer will give me this. I wonder if they'll give me that. And this is what's important to me. And you tell them, and none of this stuff helps you. So you need to be very careful about saying anything that's giving the employer an indication that you may not want to do the job. These are huge, or you may not be able to do the job. These are huge problems that people make. And they think that they may need to have a skill set. And that's what's important. But doing the job is all about these kind of things that the employer wants. And again, it's not your responsibility when you're interviewing to tell the employer all the reasons that you don't want a job or the things that are important to you. Your goal really is to go in and to do everything you possibly can to make sure that you're able to get the job. And you want to go in and sell yourself and you want to give all the right answers. And, and you don't want to give any indication that there's things about your employer your, that may not make it look like you want to want the job. So here's some things that people do that show people they can't do the job in their interviews. So a lot of times people will say negative things about their employers. And, and this is very common to say negative things about your employers. People will talk about problems with the employer, things that they didn't like about the employer, how the work was assigned in a certain way, how the firm was disorganized or too organized or whatever. But once you start saying negative things about your employer, the, your past employer, the employer is going to believe that you're going to basically have problems with them too. And so that's not the kind of person they want to bring in. Now, I'm going to talk more about that in the future. But saying anything negative about your former employer is going to hurt you. I had a funny thing happen. I was thinking about this week, there was a thing about, I don't know, or maybe a couple of weeks ago about Trump and this Stormy Daniels and everything. And I remember working with attorneys from Michael Avenetti's firm when all the stuff was going down and he was going to prison and everything. And, and these attorneys would, weren't even saying anything negative about him. They were just, I'm looking for a position, and, which is very funny. But when you think about it, obviously they had very negative opinions of their boss. And these were some very good people, but they didn't say anything negative about him even though he was in the headlines for trying to extort money from Nike and all, nothing. They said nothing negative about him and were very classy people. They basically looked like they gave the impression they could do the work and they didn't say anything negative. So when you start saying negative things about the employer, you're just telling the employer things that make it look like if those things come up in there when you're employed for them, that you won't be able to do things the way they want. Now, this is a tough one here. And this is especially tough right now because a lot of people are losing their job. I've never seen, in terms of the market right now, I think this is a very scary market for a lot of people, especially with a lot of large firms, especially for transactional attorneys. And, and a lot of firms did overhire and when the economy was much better, especially in 2021. So a lot of people have lost their positions and employers are often concerned about if they hire someone is it because there was something wrong with that person and if they lost their position and so forth. So you need to basically, when you go into an interview, you need to make it look like you were the best person in whatever department and, and that you're the exact kind of person that should be doing this type of work and that sort of thing. And you're interviewing with the firm and the firm needs to believe that you're extremely enthusiastic. And, and if you look many times like you lost your last position, the presumption is going to be that maybe you weren't doing your last job well, so maybe you can't do this job well. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, 
you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. But just remember that, especially if you lost your position, I mean, a lot of people now, a huge number, like the, it's, if you're unemployed right now, you're definitely not alone. I mean, that, I've seen you're not alone. Tons of people that have lost their, the numbers are huge. And once someone brings you in, they're really, they want to hire you again, but they're also, if they're looking at your last position, brought you in, they're not concerned about it, but they will be concerned if you start giving clues that maybe there was something wrong you did or something, then they will be a little bit concerned. Another thing that makes it look like you can't do the job is if you're not really particularly interested in the subject matter. So this is a very important point and it relates to other points we're going to talk about today. But being interested in the subject matter means that whatever the job is, if it's construction law, doing with real estate litigation or whatever the position is, you need to be look like you're very interested in that particular subject matter. And the law firm wants to believe needs to believe that you're going to be interested. I give this example a lot, but if you had a serious illness, you would want to hire a doctor that was extremely interested in whatever your, your illness was. If you had brain cancer, you'd want to go to the best brain cancer doctor. If you had, and this is how people talk about their doctors, and it's also how they talk about lawyers. And so you need to look like you're very interested in the subject matter. If you look like you're interested in the subject matter, you look like you can really do the job. There needs to be some sort of way you can communicate you like the subject matter in your interviews, but you need to be very interested in the subject matter. People need to believe you're interested in the subject matter. And if you're not interested in the subject matter, then you may be able to do the job, but the person that's interested in the subject matter is going to be much better. And then a lot of times people will seem unwilling to do the stuff that's asked of them. So they'll say things like, I'm happy to do this kind of work, but I expect to be challenged in other ways. And and they'll put in all these kind of things into the interview that make it seem like that you may not be like 100% committed or and or that you may have reservations and about doing certain things. And really what people want is they want to hire people that they can give work to and they won't have to worry about them. They just want to basically, if you're a partner and you have a lot of work, you want to be able to give it to an associate that will do whatever is asked of them and frankly won't complain and will just sit down and do it. And, and that's it. And, and the more unwilling you seem, the more problematical you may be in terms of taking on the work, the more problems, the more the firm's just not going to be interested in you. And this is what happens. And so it's interesting in every firm, there's always people all the time that are losing their jobs because, and, or not getting enough work or having problems because they have, they believe that they should be doing certain types of work. Like they believe that I remember once an example where I was a, with a guy that um, he joined a big firm in Silicon Valley and he wanted to do white collar litigation. The firm didn't have any white collar litigation, so they tried to give him commercial litigation. No, they didn't have enough. He refused to do the commercial litigation because said he was hired to be a white collar litigator. That's crazy. And, and then, and so when, if you don't look like you're willing to do whatever they ask of you, then, then that's going to immediately disqualify you from a ton of jobs. And it's something you need to be very aware of 
that you need to look like whatever they give to you, they're, you're going to do it. And what an employer is doing is they're, they're testing you. So they'll see, is this the kind of person I could give this kind of work to? Is this the, does this person look like they would do it? Does this person look like if I ask them to travel halfway across the world, that they'll do it for me? And anytime you start expressing reservations about that stuff, you look like you can't do the job. Your job when you go into an interview is to give every single possible reason that it looks like you can do whatever they need. So you need to seem eager. You need to seem that they can trust you to do it and that whatever the problems are, whatever issues that they're having with other people, whatever their issues are in terms of what they need done, that you'll do it. And this is a huge mistake that people make. People go into interviews and they start putting all these conditions on things and that's how they get eliminated. A lot of times the people that, that end up with a job are not the most talented, but they're the people that, that look like they can do whatever the job is. Within, I remember once it was funny, I was, I was opening an office in Utah and I was doing this training of these groups of people, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 people at a time. And we were training them in the company's core values and all the stuff that we thought was important. And there were, and most people were just listening and going along. But there was one person there who still works for me and was very enthusiastic and was like, yeah, this is great. And, and we should be working extra hours and doing it. And so sometimes people will act like that and then they're really going to be a good person. So you need to look like you can do whatever the job that they're asking that the job is. You might also ask about things, some other questions you can ask in the interview when they want to talk about the job. It's like, what are you looking for in the job? What do you need me to do? What do you need? What is it that people have done well in this position in the past? What is it that people haven't done well? And a lot of times that will give you a very good indication of whether or not they'll give you a good indication of the right answers to give. So the next question that employers are asking, and this again is very important, I think, is if you'll do the job long-term. And I will send this to everyone too after this and after we get questions as well. But when they're asking whether or not you'll do the job long-term, it's you have to understand all this stuff from an employer's point of view. So from your point of view, you're just trying to get a job. But from the employer's point of view, what the employer is trying to do is the employer wants to hire someone and they want that person to basically come in, do the work, stick around, and hopefully do and do stick around and, and make them money. The employer needs to make money. And if the person, if they're hiring someone and that person's going to leave, then the employer is just going to have to hire someone else. And that's not good for anyone. It's bad for the clients because the clients are, you have to get up to speed with a client that takes time to learn a file or then there's a switch so that it doesn't look good for the firm or the clients. It's bad for the morale of the firm because when people are leaving, typically there's some hurt feelings. People inside the firm, if you're leaving one firm and going to another, will think, what's wrong with us or why can't people last here and those sort of thing. And so it really wastes everyone's time. So employers, when they're hiring people, they really want to make sure that the people that they hire are likely to stick around. And so you have to really understand how do you give that impression? So you need to give the impression that you're likely to stick around. If you have a lot of moves, the firm's going to need to understand like, why are you likely to stay there? What is it about this particular job that's going to make a difference because otherwise they're just going to hire someone and that person's going to leave. There's all sorts of problems too, by the way, and I'm sure that you're aware of this, but I just, I want to write down some of these problems. Some of the problems of hiring people that move a lot, and these are very serious problems, is when someone's, someone that leaves a lot, 
will lease places a lot, will at some point check out. So the will check out and when they're when they decide they don't like the wherever they are and not do good work or work hard. And then that's one problem is people will check out. Other problems, there's just a lot of problems. But people that check out of employers and things, it's just it's not it bad employers hire these kind of people, but good ones don't. So it's very interesting when you look at like the top firms and the AMLO 100 and the top boutiques and stuff, they're very good at understanding these rules. And once you get too many moves on your resume, they're unlikely to hire you because they know that it's just bad for the morale. And the whole point of what the HR departments do in a lot of these firms, it's very good, is they look at all these things and they reach conclusions about whether or not you're likely to stick around. The way firms understand this kind of stuff is really from your resume. So a lot of times on your resume, if they see too many moves or they see things that look inconsistent with what you want to do in the long run, they'll usually reach these conclusions from your resume. Sometimes firms will bring people in and someone won't have looked at their resume very closely. They may just have looked at their current firm and their the law schools or something and they'll bring them in. But, but most of the time when someone brings you in, it's your job to talk them into showing that you're going to do the job long-term. And so some ways that this happens are that you kind of, people give clues is they'll talk about their last employer and they'll say it's not good for them or their current employer for a bunch of different reasons. And those same reasons could be ones that you would leave the existing, the new employer from. A lot of time, times you're looking for things in your background or previous moves that should suggest you'll stay. So one of the key points that everyone, that a lot of people miss, is that you need to always look that the employer is your final stop. And the way to look like that would be everything about your career until now has led up to this. So what will happen sometimes is people may start out at a smaller firm, and then they go to a mid-sized firm, and then finally a large firm. Or sometimes people will start out at a large firm and then develop some sort of expertise and things and Maybe you want to go to a smaller firm where they can develop business or, but you have to have, there has to be some sort of logic for why this employer, why is this employer like where you're likely to stay? And you need to think about that and you should write that down before you go into an interview. Because if you know where, if the employer looks like someplace you're going to stay, then you're going to be much, much better off and the employer is going to want to hire you. They're going to really trying to understand and this is good employers, if it looks like you're, this is going to be where you're going to stay. Does the practice area match what you want to do? Does your, does the type of hobbies and th everything about your background is really up for consideration, but you need to look like it's your final stop. So it's like the size of the employer, you know, the location of the employer, the, the type of work, all of these things need to make sense. And it can't just be BS. It's got to really make sense. Now, with all of these things, like looking like you can do the job and looking like you'll stick around long-term, you can do some of them well and some of them not well. But really one of the things that I've always noticed with the best placements that I made and a lot of placements is when I can position someone and get them to think about this point, this is your final stop and this is why it matches everything, it matches everything you've learned. Everything you've learned suggests this is the best place really makes a difference. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume 
to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. So that is very important. So everything that you've learned about what's important to you, everything you've learned about the kind of work you want to do, suggests this is the best place. Now, and then the law firm needs to believe that because, again, there are so many law firms in the country. It's just amazing. There's tens of thousands of them. There, there are so many law firms that, you know, if I do a search one day in a city, just same using Google for firms in a certain practice area, and I come back and I do the same search like a week later, there'll be more firms. There's so many firms that new firms, and there's so many, there's so much many firms. So you, so the law firm needs to believe that you're going to stick around. And I really can't emphasize this enough. They need to believe that this firm is where you're likely to, you know, to spend the rest of your career for whatever reason, you know, that every, any way that you can make that point. The next thing is about the location. So law firms, if you're looking at a location, like in Los Angeles, for example, you have like downtown and then you have West LA, which is like Century City and that sort of thing. If somebody lives near Century City, and is interviewing for a job in downtown Los Angeles, the employer is going to know, especially if they have a house and kids and things, that they're unlikely to stay downtown if they, can't, if they can get a better job closer to home. A lot of times people will apply to jobs in locations where they have absolutely no connections. It doesn't matter so much if you're applying to like jobs in the Bay Area or like Los Angeles or New York. But it does matter when you're applying to smaller markets and mid-sized markets because most people will go back to their home market or have no reason to stay unless it's a huge market, like a huge city. Smaller markets, there's a paranoid about hiring people that aren't from the area. And because they know, because they know it's unlikely you'll stick around. So you need to give people a real understanding of why you'll stick around in that area. Now I've had people, I've placed all sorts of people for the strangest reasons. Sometimes people are interested in places where they can hike. Other times people are interested in markets that are, people have all sorts of reasons for being interested in different markets. But what a good recruiter does and what you should do for yourself, if you're your own recruiters, you need to give the employer when you go in something that makes them think that you'll stick around in this location and this is important to you. And if, if they don't believe that, they won't hire you. What's interesting too, is that I talk about this in almost every in almost every webinar and a lot of webinars. But what's very interesting is when people are relocating from most markets to their home market. So let's say you're from, I don't know, Savannah, Georgia, and you're currently working in Chicago, like firms in Savannah are going to be very interested in you because they're, and it's really because of the idea that you'll do the job long-term. They think this person's relocating home, so they're likely to stay. And they're not going to have a lot of choices of places to work if things don't work out with us in Savannah, because there's not a lot of firms here. So let's bring the person in. So th this is how there's think they want to believe that you're the last stop and you need to figure out how to give them that indication. And even, and I hate to say this, but even with, if you're interviewing with the massive firm in New York City or Houston or something, like even that firm is cold and impersonal as a lot of these big firms are, they're going to give a lot of preference to someone who looks like they're going to stick around and that this is important to them. And so they just have to believe it. And if they don't believe it, they know you're not going to stick around. It's interesting, one of the biggest, worst hires that I ever made, it was funny, I was looking for a designer. And then, I don't know, we had a couple of designers we were looking for. And this guy had lost his job with Disney and as head of a whole department. 
making quite a bit of money and maybe 50% more than my design job paid or something like that. And But he really wanted a job and he came in and talked me into taking the job. He wasn't at the job longer than three or four months when he started complaining about the salary and how much more he was making before he got fired from Disney and, and undermining my employers, employees, undermining the other designers. And so that was a very bad hire. And eventually he left to some job and that, that wasn't as good as Disney either and left that one. And But if your salary is lower than you're used to making, the employers are going to believe that you're unlikely to stick around too. So a lot of people during bad economies and during like we are in now, when they're interview for jobs where the salaries a lot less, a lot lower than they're used to making. And the employer will know that. And the employer is very defensive about that. And so if the employer believes that your the salary is going to be a lot lower and that you're likely to move if you get a higher salary, unless there's something specific about that firm that makes you want to stay, then they're not going to hire you. They would be stupid to do so. And so they need to figure that out. Now, what it's interesting what a lot of firms do when they have these kind of positions, and I've seen this actually, firms are smart. So someone may be at a huge firm and then interviewing at a firm that pays a lot less. And so sometimes those firms, rather than bringing the person in full-time, will make them a contract attorney or something because they're not convinced that the person will stay. So you need to make sure, even if the salary is a lot lower, that you have some way to offset that and make it seem like it's not about money. It could be with the location, the type of work or whatever, but you have to make sure that the law firm sees that. And then these are just some other kind of things. I don't want to go into too much detail, but this whole pattern of upward mobility, the employer needs to believe that. They need to believe that this next stop you're making is your final stop. And so you need to figure out what is it about the firm? What is it about the people? What is it about the type of work? What is it about the firm size? What is it about their clients? What is it about all these things that's going to make it likely for you to stay? And that even if you're moving to a smaller firm or a smaller market, that this represents upward mobility for you. It could represent upward mobility because you get client contact. It could represent upward mobility because you want to live in a smaller town with good schools. It's got to represent something, but the law firm needs to believe. The law firm needs to believe that, that this is upward mobility. And, and you can do that in a lot of ways. I had some interesting things happen with trying to place people before with in smaller markets. So I had one candidate a couple of years ago that was in New York and he was very senior, maybe 15 years out, and he was a securities attorney. And not only that, but he was from England or Australia or something, I don't remember, but he was from a foreign country and had an LM. And But I think he had US citizenship for some reason. I don't know how he got, but no, I don't think he had US citizenship. I, but yeah, he did have US citizenship, but it was very difficult for him to get jobs because he was so senior. And, and so I got him interviews in strange markets. And one of the markets I got him an interview for was in, I remember, is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And there's actually some very good firms there. And that's where Steelcase is. And there's, there's some very good firms in Grand Rapids. And Grand Rapids also has very good schools. It has a really nice style of life. The firms are good. There's very smart people there. There's just a lot of reasons that you wouldn't think so, but it's this Western Michigan town. And not only that, but it's, I don't know, it was founded by the Dutch and it's just an interesting area. So he got this interview and, and I was like, you have to go all out and you have to explain to them that this is a great opportunity for your family to, to live in this kind of area. This is a, they have really good work. There's stability. You can become a partner. Their taxes aren't as bad as New York, all these different reasons. And I talked to him about pitching the firm that way. And that's exactly what he should have said if he went into the interview. But instead, 
he was all hung up that this wasn't an AMLA 10 firm, that, you know, that all these wrong reasons. And what ended up happening to him is I think he moved back to England looking for a job and took a contract job with some English law firm doing U.S. securities law. So even if you're going to a smaller firm, is my point, or a smaller market, that law firm needs to believe that going there represents upward mobility for you. And a 15th year securities attorney moving to a really small market, Grand Rapids, that he's never heard of, doesn't even know what it is, you have to frame every interview you get in a way that it's upward mobility for you. You need to think about the positives of the interview and the place you're going to and not the negatives. Some other common moves are like people moving from New York to upstate New York is an example. Like the firms in upstate New York pay half of what firms in New York City do, but housing is one third the price. And there's just, there's all sorts of reasons the schools are good. So when you're moving to different markets, you need to make it seem like there's upward mobility and the firm needs to believe that. Uh, when people move to New York City, that New York always thinks it's the best market or they move to places like Miami or Dallas. And so places, those markets believe that if someone's moving there, it's upward mobility. But most of the time, if you're moving to a smaller market, you need to position it as being upper mobility. If you're moving to a smaller firm, you need to position it as upper mobility. If you're at whatever you're doing, you need to position like this is a positive thing because no one wants to hire someone where you're their second choice. I had, I interview people all the time and that, you know, for recruiter jobs, for example, that I believe want to continue practicing law and, and I would be crazy to hire them in different business networking groups I'm part of and things like there's people that will indicate that they're interested and then we'll we'll try to go somewhere else and then come back. And so everybody has to believe that whatever you're doing is upper mobility. I can't stress that enough, but if you're able to convince the firms that whatever you're doing is upward mobility, then that's going to really pay huge dividends for you. And and you will get more jobs that way. You will because people want to hire people that are trying to go someplace and do something better. And I will, we'll do live, we'll do Q and A after this presentation. I hope there's questions about this, but this is one of the most important things that you can possibly do in any interview is give the employer the belief that this represents huge upper mobility for you because law firms want to help people uh, achieve their goals and they want to believe that this is a goal. So law firms want to achieve goals. And so that, and that's really important. They need to believe that you represent something very important to them and, and that if you're gonna fit in there and it's going to be very important and it's gonna be meaningful to you. So this is very important. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com.